Welcome to Wild Quincy, a podcast that looks into the little-known and forgotten past of Quincy, Illinois. You've heard the saying, a butterfly flaps its wings in China and Central Park it rains instead of sunshines. This falls under what is called chaotic theory, by which a small change can lead to large-scale and unpredictable variations in the future. But you probably know it as the butterfly effect. In this episode, we dive into our own butterfly effect and ask the question, what if the German migration never came to Quincy? That coming up next. Now, here's your host, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Another episode of Wild Quincy coming your way. Travis, uh, we had a lot of cool responses from our last episode talking about the Fanschmidt murders, and uh, we're going to have more of that coming up. We're going to be uh, talking with Beth uh, on our Patreon side coming up in, in next week. That should be a fun time. We have a lot to talk about, Chris. If you didn't catch our off-week Patreon Wild Thing episode, we got back in it, and you, you unleashed some interesting evidence that's going to swing back around next time to talk to Beth about. This might totally change everything, at least uh, until we get the, her side of the story. So a lot more to be said for the ears of the wild things. If you're thinking of joining the Patreon side, now's a good time to do it, Chris. We are interested to see what Beth's thoughts are. She might just say, put a kibosh to it pretty <laughs> quick. But uh, it was pretty crazy coming across a story like that, uh, uh, talking about maybe, you know, giving some credence to the thought that what I've always thought when I said at the end of the last episode was that I don't think Ray did it. And I think a, the story that was in the newspaper I found kind of even says something along those lines. Food for thought, and that dinner bell's ringing soon. So jump on over to the... <laughs> The land of the wild thing on the Patreon side and uh, get it get it in your ear holes. Well, Travis, speaking of Patreon, we're real excited. We talked about this a few times that we were looking at new things to do to change things up, give a little bit extra to those uh, Patreon members. And, and we've finally got it done post-COVID, post all that stuff of trying to get things uh, back to normal. We have our Slack channel available now to our Patreon members of the uh, um, Kelly Salad Bar and Above level. So uh, Travis, really excited about that uh, new Slack channel. Yeah, it's going to be a great place. I mean, people are already throwing up some stuff, some new hotel. Uh, props to Ashley Hastings, one of our, our wild things. And uh, I was in there throwing some, uh, gosh, what was it? I was throwing some stuff about uh, bomb shelters in the area. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so yeah, jump on. We're also going to have a dedicated channel for those who are not Patreon members who maybe do a lot of research or want to volunteer their services as research. Uh, I know we have a few people we owe some invites to, and if you're interested in doing that, give us a shout on the social media channels or wildquincy at gmail.com, and we'll get you guys connected. But while we're on the topic of Patreon, Chris, we got to welcome two new people to to the realms of the wild things. All right. Uh, one would be Misty Scott, who joined us at the $8 Kelly Salad Bar level. Real quick, props to Misty. Yet last episode, I talked about uh, the owner of Underbrinks and the T-shirt that randomly had virality for our, the, the listeners on our show. Well, I, I forgot to give her credit because she's the one who tagged Amy, the owner of Underbrinks. And so uh-huh. she gave me a little grief on uh, Facebook, <laughs> told her I'd make sure I got on the next episode. So thank you. Thank you, Misty, and welcome to the Wild Things. Uh, sounds like they're doing a deep dive on the back catalog of Wild Quincy. Were you just out at Woodland Cemetery ah. over their lunch hour checking stuff out? So that's great to hear. <laughs> One other uh, welcome goes to Jessica Dieters, who joined us at the $5 Medium Jeff special level. Patreon's where it's at. That's the best way to show your support and unlock over 30 episodes. It's hours, Chris, of additional bonus content for Wild Quincy. Yeah, a lot there. Uh, as you saw, like if you look at our Facebook page, sometimes it's structured. We talk about the uh, we talk about what's going on in the last episode. Sometimes we just call it a bottle episode. And we just throw stuff together. And uh, actually, like we've uh, both mentioned, those are sometimes the best episodes when we like go into it. Like I have no idea what yeah. we're going to talk about. And an hour later, it was one of the best episodes we probably had a fun, go- a crazy ghost story. <laughs> I had never n- neither one of us had run into on the last no. one. So you never know what you're going to hear. It's always yeah. a good time. So check that out again, patreon.com. We'll have more details for you coming up in a second. All right, let's get away from all that and let's get into the most important parts of the beginning of our episode and something we do every time. It's called the question of the day. Travis, are you ready for this one? Yeah, I'm, I feel like my track, I need I need a spreadsheet of my track record on these, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I don't have a lot of confidence in myself. What do we got, Chris? 
All right, well, maybe this one will change your mind. Here is the question of the day. Every couple of years, uh, of course, the candidates running for president will get on TV and debate each other. Which two general election candidates were the first to debate each other in public for the office of president? Doesn't have to be on TV, just a debate in public, all right? Was it Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr? Was it Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas? Was it Theodore Roosevelt and William Taft? Or was it John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon? So which two presidential candidates were the first to ever debate each other in public? So just in public. Just in public, not on TV. Okay, well, that that, that says a lot right there. But all right, yeah. well, we'll, we'll revisit and see if I can pull a win on the uh, W column. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if you can get that answer coming up at the end of this episode. But uh, Travis, uh, we're digging in again to the new category for this season, and it's called What If? And this What If is a, is a unique one. What if the German migration never happened in Quincy? We're going to dig deep into that question coming up next here on Wild Quincy. <laughs> Here's what you missed on the latest After Hours episode of Wild Quincy. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. State's Attorney Gilmer is inclining to place much importance upon the presence of this strange man. One of the theories, uh, it says here, one of the theories upon which Mr. Gilmer and Sheriff Lips are working is that uh, this unknown man, who did not resemble young Ray Fanschmidt in the least, had been on the place all day Saturday trying to burn the bodies in the kitchen stove. The fact that portions of the bodies of both Fanschmidt and his wife were strangely missing would, in a way, confirm this theory. Ooh, that's interesting, Chris. Our After Hours episodes are available exclusively for Patreon members by going to patreon.com slash wildquincy. For just a couple dollars a month, not only will you double the amount of Wild Quincy episodes at your fingertips, but you'll also be supporting our efforts as we continue to dive into the wild and crazy history of our favorite town. Also, as a Patreon member, you can take part in our live events and Patreon-only outings, as well as having access to our regular episodes two days before they are released to the public. It's easy. Just head to patreon.com slash wildquincy. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash wildquincy and become a wild thing today. Uh, see, the Tyrannosaur uh, doesn't have any set patterns or, or, or park schedules. It's the essence uh, of chaos. Um, I'm still not clear on chaos. Oh, oh, it, 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 it uh, simply uh, deals with uh, predictability in complex systems. The shorthand is the, the butterfly effect. A butterfly can flap its wings in Peking, and in Central Park you get rain instead of sunshine. As we get ready for this episode, Travis, we got to talk uh, about kind of the setup. Again, it's, it's a what if. So there's going to be a lot of speculation involved with talking about this, and, and, and maybe not as much of the, the hardcore history as we usually have in these episodes. Yeah, uh, that is the kind of the wild card in this in this category is it's not a cut and dry history and not a record public record here. It's really a little bit of choose your own adventure in how <laughs> we frame things. And you know, there's no really right or wrong answers. It's just the information that we found. There may be a lot more supplemental stuff that we hope people will let us know about and add to the whole uh, texture of the story. And if uh, you've listened to previous episodes, you know that when I was a kid and I read those choose your own adventure books, I usually skip ahead and see which which way was the better of the ways. So um, we're going to do that here. I just I just read them straight through. <laughs> Did you really? What fun yeah, is no, that, dude? It's crazy. Yeah, no, I no. That's, um, that's a psychopath thing. Yeah, though. you go to the end, you say, oh, okay, so how do I get to that part? Okay, yeah. and that's actually how we're going to do that for this episode. We're going to uh, go through some of the stuff, some of the things we know, and then we're going to give you some of that speculation at the end. So the question is this, Travis, what if that German migration never came to Quincy in the 1840s to 1870s? Well, let's Before we go blast to the past and we get back to the 40s, not 1940s, 1840s, that is, let's talk about more a little bit current time. And I got to bring this up. This isn't necessarily due with the German migration. It might in some aspects, but maybe not. Did you know that in the latest census for the city of Quincy that we have fallen under 40,000 in population? 
Really? Yeah. Uh, it's down to 39,463, so 1,200 less than the last census. Mm, people need to start keep coming home to Quincy. That's right. Like. And uh, under 40, man, you never never expected that. But uh, I had to throw it out there because I found found that stat as I was looking around. But a 1990 census stat, Travis, that I found is a little bit different. It stated that more than 56% of Quincy residents claimed that they were partial German ancestry. 56%, over half of them. Yeah, that's that's massive for the area to have that much of a population yeah you know concentration so you curious about what other other towns look like in the same time period well yeah give us some context i mean it's so hard sometimes to really understand the place you are unless you understand the differences of places you might be familiar with so yeah lay it on so chicago start with chicago their german ancestry population was 9.7 percent Rockford was 30%, Peoria at 34%, and Springfield, Illinois at 37%. So take a, you take a look at those, and then you take a look at Quincy, and you get a 56%. Very high. Extremely high. What, man, what's, I mean, what's the story? Why why such a concentration? Do we want to get to that that, that whole origin story yet? Yeah. Or do you got some yeah. more stats? No, no, let's get into that. And and I got to start with, before we even get into that part, we talk about before the migration of all the Germans coming to town, we talk about uh, the first German migrant, if you will, and that's John Wood. <laughs> Even though he wasn't necessarily the uh, the uh, migrant himself, his parents were German uh, migrants, so he was uh, he he was had that lineage. So uh, he started out as first. I thought it was kind of interesting, but it was really in the 1840s, Travis, when it really got kicked off, and. The population, according to the census back in 1840, showed the population of Quincy at 2,319, okay? Again, I'm a stats guy. I'm a numbers guy. Got to look at other towns. And I found this really interesting. So St. Louis was already at 16,000 population in 1840, okay? Okay. Springfield, Illinois was at 2,579. So just 200 people more, 170 people more than Quincy. Uh, Hannibal. Get this. This was an 1850 census, but it was in the same ballpark. Hannibal had 2,020 people in, in 1850. Really? Yeah. They were competitive back in the 1840s with Quincy. And we'll get back to that in a minute. I think that might have something to go with our, our what if section here. And then finally, which again, I think this is crazy, but we're talking 1840s going back to Chi-Town, Chicago. 4,470 was the population in 1840. So Quincy was only behind Chicago in 1840 by 1,900 people. It's wild. It's almost hard to put yourself in that thought paradigm of Quincy being that much of a player in the mm -hmm. grand scheme of things in Illinois. The city's starting to see some growth already, and we go to the question of why, and I had to look this up. I had to start thinking, okay, why would this be, okay? Railroads, not quite a thing yet. And, you know, they're a little ways down the road, but we go into something else that was happening. What else is happening on the river in the 1800s, Travis? Steamboats. Steamboats, okay. There's a lot of steamboats going up and down the river. So you're looking for places, nice little ports to uh, probably uh, load, unload different regional hubs? By the 1830s, early 1830s, before the influx came along, we were still were around you know 2,000 population. It was estimated that 1,200 steamboats a year would visit Quincy. Boy, that's that's must have been just a crazy scene down at the riverfront. You already had a little bit of an influx, and a lot of these steamboats were coming to Quincy to either pick up or deliver, like, uh, you know, grains, corn, wheat, things like that, or, or they were delivering goods or things like that. So this is all happening before we get into the 1840s. So we're looking at 10 years before this German migration comes along. But however, before we get to that, there was some migrants of German ancestry before that. The first one, get this, Travis, historians actually know who the first German migrant in Quincy was. I think I ran across that too, but go ahead. 1829's the year, a 32-year-old tailor named Michael Mast is the first German to call Quincy home. 
1829. Really? Yeah. Michael Mast. I tell you another early one. I, I don't know if this is, it was on the record for the earliest from me, but in 1833, there's a guy, Anton Delabar, who is a cabinet maker by trade. He settled here, uh, actually built a water driven sawmill down by third and Delaware. And if it wasn't for old Anton Delabar, there wouldn't be the first brewery yeah. in Quincy. Yeah. You probably get that coming up. But now a lot of this, um, just from what I've always heard, and maybe you ran across some of this in your research, Chris, is a lot of the reason why the settlers came here had a lot to do with the 1818 military land tract, where a lot of uh, you know land was being sold off. And a lot of the German soldiers who fought for the U.S., I believe they were called Hessians, they were some of the early adopters on this land. And that explained a little bit. I think some of the topography of the region and the prairie was ideal for their kind of um, known way of farming, a lot of availability of springs and streams. So a lot of different variables that made this this kind of Mississippi Valley area uh, appealing to uh, two of the immigrants of uh, Germanic descent. Well, and if you want to go a little bit step further, too, going a little bit beyond why Germans were coming to the United States, it had a lot to do with the wars going on in Europe as well. Um, it started all the way back in the 1770s, but by uh, actually the 1830s, German migration increased more than tenfold. Um, it, it continued to increase to almost uh, till till World War One, where it kind of kind of failed back a little bit. But it seemed like every year that that kept increasing. But yeah, you had so you had the Germans who were coming from Germany to the United States. You know, get the new new world westward bound, all that stuff. And then they get to the United States, and they're like, "Well, we we've gone this far west. Let's go a little bit farther west." <laughs> so it sounds like there was a trajectory of maybe okay. Step one, get across the ocean. And you're probably going to land, what, in the New England area somewhere? Oh, for sure, yeah. So is, is a lot of the migration kind of like their second stop, you know, in, in the new land of, okay, let's, this place, you know, the streets maybe aren't quite as paved as gold as we were led to believe right here. But, you know, there's fortune to be made to the West. And did, did was it kind of a perfect storm of just that westward expansion and the time the Germans uh landed because i i always wondered if uh if you know illinois is not you're going to be your first stop off the boat what what would was the german uh population finding when they got here to quincy i mean were they well i'll tell you why, why do they keep coming i told you what they what, one thing that they found here that they didn't find in germany was actually uh, they didn't find any economic hard times and that's part of the reason they kind of going stepping back just a hair the reason why the germans and, and dutch made their migrations in the 1840s 1850s to the united states was because there was a lot of economic hardship going on there was uh riots and rebellions and actually in 1848 in germany there was an actual revolt that happened uh, a revolution i should say and so there was a lot going on there's a lot of these germans trying to get out but i think you're right on on the next step of that is is that you know, they got here and, and they find this opportunity that you hear about all these land acquisitions going on close to the Mississippi River. They just come here. The, they're the major. Uh, and again, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, Travis, but I mean, over what was the number I just read? Uh, over more than a million Germans came to the United States between 1845 and 1855. So wow, by huge. far, that was the biggest migration of any uh, any country to the United States in that time period. So obviously you're going to have that, and it was just I think you're right, and and we'll get into this a little bit more maybe, but I think it was just a the perfect blend of what was going on. You had this migration because of the hardships going on in Germany, so they came to the United States, and it just so happens this is the time when you start seeing you know uh, the state of Illinois formed, the state of Missouri formed. You're starting to see all these states getting formed close to the Mississippi River, and there's this land available. It's cheap. Uh, surely you brought some money with you from from Germany, and so you're like, well, you know. We've gone this far. What's another couple? You know, what's another week of, of going across this uh, this new country to get to our new home is going to be all about? We've already gone this far. So when they reached their destination of Quincy, what what were this? What was this huge group of you know immigrants and uh, you know people seeking their wealth and fortune in the new world when they landed, so to speak, here in in the area? What were they doing? They they had a lot of trades, a lot of things to come with. So like you just said, they had cabinet makers, and then uh, that guy knew how to brew beer, and we're going to talk about that coming up a little bit. Boy, that's huge! Not just to piggyback on on that. 
uh, you know, the skilled trades. I mean, people like John Wood, who was, you know, like you said, ger- of German descent as well. He went down to St. Louis when he was building his mansion that we know his original, you know, location across uh, 12th Street there. Mm-hmm. And he, he sought out German tradesmen who found, you know, a great steady employment and prospered here. And I think word got out, but. I think Quincy saw a lot of industry that grew out of Quincy. Yeah. I just I, I stumbled across a few things here. Um, you know, the producers of stoves, plows, household furniture, musical instruments, carriages, farm wagons. These are all core elements of a of a growing economy of any town. And to have that kind of concentration, I mean, I you know that must have been turnkey in in growing Quincy, producing the goods needed. And I think if you really think about it, Travis, if, if you have these uh, cities in that are in the East Coast, Philadelphia, New York, uh, these different big cities, they're kind of already established with that. So if you bring in a, a, somebody that doesn't that has these skills, but you have a city that already has those types of things available to them. You're going to go to where you're needed, and so maybe that's why the German migration to the Midwest and to our area was as important, like you're saying, is because we're just getting started. We, you know, 1830s, 1840s, we have 2,000 people living in the city of Quincy. Uh, it's a it's a young town. It's just getting off its feet, and yeah, so you're needed, and, and why not go into uh, the place where you're going to get work at? It makes sense. I mean, there's more room to stretch your legs, more room for growth, more room for prosperity. And I think the word got out, and people, maybe German settlers in other parts of the country, soon heard through the grapevine that this was a very good town, and and that migration continued, and the numbers continued to rise. I'm glad you brought that up. Numbers, Travis. Population explosion. So 1840s to 1870s, there was over 10,500 Germans that settled in Quincy between that time period. By 1870, 43% of the population in Quincy was German. They established at that time 13 churches, 13 parochial schools, and actually had three German language newspapers by 1870. So they've taken over the town. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And it hasn't stopped from there. All right, guys, we'll see you next week on the next. No. (laughs) No. Uh, So, yeah, it's. you know, the migration was huge. And so it really not only brought the trades and things like that, but it also brought the culture. And I had to read this. I don't remember, Travis, this might have been in your wheelhouse, your time frame. Tell me if you know this guy by the name by the name of Fred Boss. Mr. Boss? Fred Mr. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. At Notre Dame. He was the German the German teacher. I uh yeah, I knew him. Herr. Herr means Mr. in in German and everyone calls it. Yeah, I Herr just Boss? reached out to him recently on Facebook oh, really? for more oh, information. I couldn't quite connect unfortunately ah. in time. But uh yeah, still doing well and very active on all the uh, Quincy uh, historic kind of groups and back in the day type pages. They interviewed him for a newspaper article in the Herald Wig uh, a few years ago. And um, he's the, as you said, this is the German teacher at Quincy Notre Dame. He had a quote in there I thought was kind of cool. You know, they were talking about, well, the German heritage is, you know, it's reviving. It's getting going again. And and his response was, the German culture is alive here as it ever has been. It hasn't really gone away. It's just that the things that we do in Quincy are just, we think is normal, but is actually part of the German heritage. It's so ingrained, yeah. I think, that you can't see the forest because of all the trees. Yeah, exactly. He In his other thing, which I thought was he or thought was interesting, he said a German the German culture spreads from tenderloins to Turner Hall. <laughs> and so that got me down another rabbit hole. So tenderloins are a German thing. Okay, They're, They have yeah, a absolutely. really weird name. I, I can't even pronounce it. And then also the Turner Hall part. Travis, did you know Turner Hall was once a center for German gymnastics? Yes, we we heard that. We learned that. I don't know if it was on. I can't remember if it was on the episode or not. But when we had Chuck Chuck Schultz, yeah, on, he, he it might have been an off air conversation. But we he mentioned that, and I never put two and two together that that's where that name or, originated from. Is acrobatics Turners? You know, doing oh, turns. Oh yeah, okay. I thought it was yeah. the name after somebody. Yeah, I always thought, yeah. assumed so too, but no, that, that was kind of made for a name for the ac- acrobatics that were done there. That's which is crazy. Yeah. A little tidbit for your next uh, impression family situation. <laughs> your next night out at the Quincy History <laughs> Trivia Night. 
You'll know it now. All the history nerds are going to be like so jealous. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, the history nerds, we have another well-known name in town, Travis, and I, uh, I hope that you can fill me in. If not, I, I can help you out a little bit here. But there is a place called Calf Town. Absolutely. Yeah. No, Calf Town. I guess you could call it the area, like I guess Jersey to to what, like Jackson-ish, and kind of fifth to twelve. So it's kind of the south. West portion of town okay. was known as Calf Town. A um, lot of German homes, architecture, and you know there was a huge just the central landing place for a, most of this immigration that we're talking about of Germanic descent. And the name Calf Town had a lot to do with you know having people had ca- cow in their yard for you know for milking. <laughs> you know they had chickens running around. It was very kind of self sustained. Um, living, it was very blue collar. I mean, a lot of the, the industries we talked about in manufacturing, a lot of the workforce uh, were the the people that lived here, and that just gained such a, a just central part of all the German kind of settlement here in Quincy. Um, but just massive section of Quincy, They're just predominantly German. There were dairies over there too, Chris. Did you know that? No. There was a huge dairy, probably not far off from 8th and uh, State Street. It was wide open, expansive at one point. Huh. Well, and speaking of, of that area that you're talking about, I think another area, another place that you could talk about in that same wheelhouse is Dick Brothers Brewery. Let's talk about brewing in general, Chris. You talk about, I ran across some statistics. You might have run across them too. But I think in, in uh, what was it, the 18... 18- uh, but, but, but 1880s, I, in the census information in the U.S., 80.5% of German, you know, people in United in the United States were involved as listed as a brewing in in brewing. Hmm. So it was a massive employment because just beer was pretty much perfected in Germany, and they, everybody wants wants a brew. You know, you got these blue collar guys. The neighborhood pub, the uh, you know the rat skellers of their time, so to speak, and uh, not far behind there was was the butching, uh, the butchers, sausage makers, musical instruments was huge too, um, but yeah, brewing. The breweries just thrived on this immigration. That's why you saw so many breweries in Quincy pop up that were uh, you know all of German descent, and to the best of my knowledge. And and one of the things specifically about Dick Brothers too is that. I was watching a YouTube video about it just today about how Dick Brothers was bigger than Anheuser-Busch uh, back in the day. So, I mean, they Absolutely. were a huge brewery here, and they were found just here in Quincy. So, yeah, I mean, the, not only do you have the brewing and uh, you have, you know, the German district, but in general, the German district and the architecture, a lot of these uh, brick homes that you see, the brick structures, the brick buildings all have German, um, you know, heritage, uh, German background, you will, if you will. Um, so, you have have a lot a lot of culture i mean it's the city as you said it's just it's there it, it's it's a it's a tree hidden in the forest but it's always there so but travis we got to get to the big point here we got to get to the the whole reason that we're having this discussion today and that's the what if what if those germans never came to quincy so i'm going to go down my list these are some things of just these are thoughts i just had and and i guess we can if there's one that pops out at you travis we can dig into it a little bit more okay uh, so obviously the biggest one on the list is going to be most likely if this German immigration never happened, then most likely the Catholic religion would not be the biggest faith in the Quincy area. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet. Absolutely. So many Catholic churches were, were born out of that, that whole immigration. 13 churches were created, as I said earlier, just uh, by 1870 because of the Germans uh, coming into town. So that's a big what one. What do you think would be the what do you think would be predominant? Uh, I know we talked a lot about bars and churches on season one. You look at some other areas. Is it Presbyterian? Do they have higher numbers? Uh, you know, areas? I, didn't we look at uh, and I talked about this at the beginning. I, I think you got to start wondering about Hannibal. And, you know, yeah. how Hannibal doesn't have that German migration as much as Quincy did. So, and they're a Baptist town. So it makes Baptist, me think yeah, that Baptist yeah. may be the predominant be. religion in Quincy if the Germans didn't come to Quincy. So all those, those you know, St. Francis picnics, yeah. you're saying, you know, all the St. The picnics, the KSC, KC barbecue, yeah, see ya. Anthony's Bye-bye. picnic, not happening. Bye. And that's yeah. funny that you say because the second thing on my list is not as many church picnics. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean that's a staple in, I mean, 
that is the highlight for a lot of people in summer is those gatherings of the parish picnics. Yeah. I think the whole Catholic footprint as well as its German roots is so ingrained in society. I mean, if you talk to people in Oklahoma, in other parts of the country and say, oh, yeah, they have huge church picnics where people get just sloshed, hammered, <laughs> hammered. They're going to raise an eyebrow and go, what are you talking about? Like, oh, no, the local brewery, like the local distributor, liquor distributor sponsor. Yeah. Like, what? They and have it's signs. Like speaking a whole nother, you know, language to some people. It's it's wild. But we don't even blink. At, at that, that's normal. Yeah, we go. If you go, and you probably know this better than I do, especially you, you know, you spent time a little bit farther away than I have. But like you said, if you get in the Bible belts, they're they're going to be like, wait, your your church has a function where you just stand around and drink and play games. Really, most churches, even when you you get, <laughs> when you go up to receive the Eucharist, you know, it's not actually alcohol. <laughs> I mean, and we're. Throwing back Budweiser's on a Saturday night, so it's uh, yeah, it's, it's good a times. Very much culture shock potentially if you haven't grown yeah, up in this area. Exactly. And, you know. uh, so let's move on. Some other things, and, and let me go ahead and put this one on there for you as well, Travis. Uh, if if either one of us would be even living in Quincy, would be the first question. But the second question would be: Is if you were Travis, I don't think you'd be graduating from Quincy Notre Dame. That's right. There was heavy, heavy, uh, you know, like you said, the Catholic presence there and the German presence were hand in hand. So the Ca- Quincy Notre Dame might not even be a thing. Uh, yeah, you question if it would be. And even these parochial schools, I mean, uh, I don't know. I think, what do we say, there are six or seven now? But you got a question if any of those you might have one or two. I mean, Hannibal has that. They have one Catholic school, and that's you it. You might be looking at a situation where there's two larger high schools of, you know, yeah. one, just, uh, Public, the, public schools. Public. Yeah. That's what I was yeah, trying right. to find. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, who knows? Who knows? It's, it makes you wonder. A couple more here. Well, let's go on this. The next step is obviously uh, Quincy University be another one going along the same lines. You know, Catholics yeah. uh, probably wouldn't have QU here. Uh, another one that I found, and I, I, I question this now, but I think I know why I put this on here, is no Lincoln-Douglas debate. Really? Why do you figure that? Because if you didn't have that German migration, because you're looking 1840s, that was in 1850, 1858 actually is when they had that. Um, I don't think the population's big enough to justify them coming to Quincy to have a debate. Well, from what I understand, and we'll learn more about this in upcoming episodes, but um, Douglas, who was Quincy's boy, golden child, golden boy, he had heavy support from the German. Um, I know a lot of times... As a political, you just father. answered your own question. <laughs> I know. I, I started talking like, of course, I gotta put them back together. But you know, and we even talked about in the Civil War episode. Uh, sometimes when they get into politics to really rouse the German support, they put articles in German mm. into traditional mm-hmm. non-German, pu- you know, published newspapers just to really kind of hammer in that German working class that were populating calf town because those were votes, baby. Those were votes. So, but what she just said there, Travis is that he had German support. Germans not being in Quincy in our our new, you know, butterfly effect mode here is that now he doesn't have the support to run for office. Maybe it's the Lincoln Clinton debates, not the Lincoln Douglas debates. If you want to go even further down that road, wasn't Douglas instrumental in making sure that the southern part of Illinois didn't succeed <sighs> to be part of the oh, south? Oh, snap. <laughs> So the whole shape of Illinois during the Civil War, I mean, the butterfly effect, who knows how far that could have gone. But that's huge. That's a small piece of the puzzle, but it's still a puzzle. Travis, could we go ahead and say that the possibility that Illinois splits up into southern Illinois and northern Illinois may could could possibly happen with... If, I think there's some argument that Douglas, kind of already yeah, has. but that <laughs> it's official because if it would have, if that split would ever have happened, that would have been the time it would have happened was during the Civil War because there was so much uh, polar opposite opinions of of that in Illinois. What if you had a recession? Southern Illinois recedes from Northern Illinois, and but you have you have uh, Stephen Douglas going down there and and, and convincing them to stay with the uh, stay with the state of Illinois. We could be looking at if so again. I can't. This is crazy. If Stephen Douglas wasn't in Quincy, we might have Southern and Northern Illinois today. 
It's possible. Chris. It's possible. I mean, it's all it's all speculation. We're all you know Monday morning quarterback in this thing, but it's a it makes you stop and think about. Yes, yeah. you know, was there other Democratic leaders that were you know roused support? Yeah, but Douglas had that cult of personality that really you know drove votes and shaped and hell hell I mean he was credited for making you know, you know keeping the Southern Illinois into the union. Yeah. So, yeah, it makes you wonder. Oof. Who knows? That's a Who big, knows big thing right there. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, something to think about. Uh, that might be the biggest revelation, I think, out of all this, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, a couple of things here real quick for you, and then I'll get your thoughts. Uh, if you didn't have that German migration, you know, the steamboats were still going before that. But then there was another thing about the railroads. And I kind of kind of hit up this a little bit. The railroads really became active uh, in, in the CBQ in particular. Was uh, There was a railroad bridge built across the Mississippi. That happened in 1868. So this is right after getting close to our main, our prime of after the masses of Germans come into Quincy. Uh, by the way, CBQ, CB&Q, uh, if you don't know, stands for Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy Railroad. In eight, the 1860s, there were actually five railroads that came out of Quincy. So Quincy yeah. was quite the hub in the 1860s. So was Burlington. It was hard to miss Quincy. I mean, you had the, the burgeoning rail system. You still had the steamboat factor, which was still thriving. So that just duplicated Quincy's hub, kind of hub, Midwest hub potential twofold. So, but I'm going to choose to put your thinking cap on here, Travis. Mm -hmm. Do they still choose Quincy as that railroad hub if they don't see that population increase like it did? Uh, I don't know. I think, boy, I don't know. You have a couple other factors to think about because just occupationally speaking in the you know, 1880s which is still you know 20 years from where we're at right now talking but you have cigar you know in the cigar making industry which Quincy was huge cigar box makers we had Quincy paper box makers at that time or maybe I don't know if that's exactly that time but uh baking I mean underbrinks that'd be gone um a lot of these tailors bakers saloon you know saloon places butchers i think that people are going to come to quincy because i think a lot of the natural flow of german migration um that already existed in the united states came from the northeast and boy you you not to jump back to the whole civil war thing but i from my understanding a lot of the reason germans settled in quincy as opposed to missouri was they came from a slave, you know, where, where slavery was prohibited for, since day one in the Northeast, mm. and they didn't want to maybe complicate things. So, you know, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm just kind of reaching at random straws here. But get me back on track. Where 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 are we well, trying to get to? Uh, you actually got me on a different uh, a different kind of pathway there because I just got to thinking, and, and maybe we haven't put enough emphasis on emphasis on this. It, it, let's look at real quick going back at the population, the census population. So again, we said 1840 was 2,300 people. 1850, 6,900. By 1860, it was at 13,7. And then by 1870, 24,000, okay? So we know for sure by 1870, there was 10,500 Germans living in Quincy. So that is uh, just under, what do we say, like 40, I said 43 or 46% of the population um, back in 1870. So... That's a, a huge population. Let's just take that number away, okay? Let's just take that 10,000 out of our statistics right now. So by 1870, yeah. that puts our population of Quincy at around 14,000, which is still a decent size for 1870. Right. Um but you know, if you take it, I'm gonna. I, I, this is this is like us on 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 Patreon. I have to I have to do a quick search here. So we take our 1870 numbers and take a look at Hannibal. 1870, the population in Hannibal was 10,125. Okay. So, Hannibal and Quincy are about the same size. You eliminate the German population from Quincy. So, then we come to the question of going back to our railroad scenario. Is it Quincy or is it Hannibal that they choose to bring it? Maybe instead of the CBQ, it's the CB and H. Maybe. Yeah, because at that point... Uh, 
did the did the railway cross the river? I don't know if it crossed the river. It, well, it would have had to. They, they the built a bridge in Quincy yeah. in 1868. The the railroad bridge that was, was the bridge in Quincy that yeah. went across the river. Yeah. Okay, gotcha, mm-hmm. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I you know it seems like it seems like there at least in modern times there's there seems like there's a disconnect in the rail transportation between Quincy and Hannibal. It's just a dead zone, yeah. you know, a leap there. I assume that wasn't the case, and I just don't know, frankly. But it does make you wonder if it wasn't for that fourteen thousand above the ten thousand, maybe that made a big difference on what they chose as you know the distinguishing factor for the Q and CBQ. Yeah. To your point, Chris, if Hannibal had the upper hand, maybe they go ahead drive that track a little further, and it's the CBNH, like you said. The other thing of two with that number with the 1870, if again limiting that 10,000 from the 24 puts us at 14. The other thing is you're looking post Civil War. So, and I don't remember. I was trying to see if I could pull this up real quick. I don't think I can. But what was the what was the influx of slaves into Quincy post Civil War? How much of that number is inflated because of that? Because of that? Yeah, I. You know, I, I don't want to speak too much out of school here, but I think from my memory of when we really went down the rabbit hole in the Civil War episode you know, a while back, um, the whole working class population, which was predominantly German, didn't want, they were scared of the freed black man coming across and taking their jobs. So as we talked about, Quincy became a very, in Illinois in general, became a very unfriendly place for these fleeing, you know, African Americans to set up shop. So I I don't know how much of a factor that would have been, honestly. I'm sure it was a factor to some extent, but I think we'd have to have a little bit somebody more well versed in all the minor details or major details rather of history to uh to really shed some light on that. So, uh thank you for that moment of filling us in on that, Travis, cuz that gave me enough time to find the answer. <laughs> Good deal. Good deal. I'm a good star. Yes. Uh, so here's what it is. According to what we talked about in Quincy and the Civil War, uh, the estimates were that they thought that Quincy was going to see 20,000 people that were coming from, uh, you know, slavery areas. The number obviously never got to that high. It says the 1870 census, which tabulated a population of 24,000, indicated uh, that the estimates likely for this were relatively uh, not too accurate. And the Quincy um, grew by over 10,000 that decade. They say that most likely the number of immigrants due to slavery was around a thousand in Quincy. Boy, that's low. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things. Maybe I was onto something with my blathering. <laughs> I think you might have been. <laughs> so we eliminated another thousand from that. So again, now we're looking at 13. You're still in that Beale House of, of Quincy and Hannibal being about the same size. But, you know, it was Chris, it, before you get, yeah, before, hold that thought. Hold that thought. Do you have, do you know if Hannibal was ever a dry place? Ooh, I do not. Because boy, that might be a factor that we're not thinking about. But it would, would it, would it? Uh, let's put a, let's, we'll put a pin in. Oh, that. you're saying know, if the with, German, with, my, if that German migration went to Hannibal instead, right? Yeah. Then that would make yeah. sense. But usually, probably my guess would be is the population would get so big that they would probably overthrow any dry status. I think there's a good chance that rail hub wouldn't have happened in Quincy. I, I, I think without that boost of the German population and the numbers, I don't know if we would have ever had such a regional hub on railway mm-hmm. back when which makes you wonder a little bit too when you had both quincy and hannibal going at the same time what made the german migration decide quincy over hannibal is it easy of access to get across the river <laughs> you know maybe i you know i think i think a lot of it just had to do with the early successes of you know the settlers in like the 1830s and 1840s who really found a welcoming place in Quincy where they were able to settle down, make a living, grow their families. That word got out. I think more than anything, people coming to Quincy was more of a word of mouth situation where why would they go on to Hannibal? You know, they had a growing population in Quincy, a growing industry. They all, you know, most of the jobs with they were in skills and trades they were skilled in were right on the money to facilitate the growth. Um, you know, I'm sure there was some that went on to Hannibal, but man, it seemed like a real friendly environment. Why, why rock the boat if you don't have Quincy's to? Quincy's always been that way where they've been open, which, uh, Travis, that's a great segue into my last thought. What you got? Is the thought of, we look into 1838, what about Joseph Smith? 
would Joseph Smith stay in Quincy and make uh, the Mormons have have it be their home? You know, I don't, I, I don't think they would have stayed altogether because when when the Mormons came all over this way, uh, they so outnumbered Quincy. I mean, Quincy was so small that uh, they they would have taken over Quincy and it would have been a Mormon town yeah. if they stayed. That would have totally changed the dynamic. Um, you know, they had other plans of building their own kind of place, which they did in in uh, Nauvoo. But the fact that they were able to set up shop and regroup had to do a lot, I think, with the uh, the German settlers. Uh, I know the numbers hadn't exploded quite yet, but still in the 1830 time period, there was a good chunk of Germans that were super welcoming, <laughs> you know, yeah. like letting people have their homes, sometimes haunted, as we found out on our last Patreon episode. <laughs> um but yeah, that uh, that whole the whole here we go. I mean, here's a question: If Quincy hadn't have welcomed the fleeing Mormons from eminent death in Missouri, and they had to force through the hardships of that winter with nowhere to seek refuge, would Nauvoo have ever got built? Oh. Would they have ever? Flo- I mean, is would have that yeah. been the end of the line of a lot of the Mormons? Would they have ever made it Salt Lake City? Would, could you go to Ancestry.com today? Wow. I mean, butterfly effect. Yeah, I mean, that's huge, Travis. That's huge. I mean, yeah, yeah. they didn't have the support of Quincy. It, it doesn't make it as easy to go to Nauvoo and build build the temple. Because and, and, and it was the middle of brutal winter. That was a brutal winter. They crossed the river on the ice. And, I mean, that's that's tough if Quincy would have shut its shut its doors to him. We got two reveals here, Travis, two big pieces of the puzzle that I didn't even think about until we started this discussion. The first one is, is without the German ancestry in, which this sounds so crazy to say without the German ancestry in, in Quincy, the, there is a possibility that we would have a Northern and Southern Illinois. And then secondly, there's another possibility that the Mormon faith, a huge religion in the United States may not have survived without the help of Quincy. Is that is that yeah, too bold? It, <laughs> it, it may have survived, but it it might not have made it to what it is today. You know, without that that uh, hand up to get to Nauvoo. I don't know. It makes you wonder. You could you could sit here and speculate till we're blue in the face. Maybe we're completely wrong. Who knows? But that's the thing. We've become so ingrained and Germans just such a part of, of this environment in this area that we don't stop and think about the hypotheticals of if, if the events didn't take place as they did, we could be looking at a completely different place. I mean, it's uh, it, it boggles the mind. We could sit here all day and probably have huge revelations, but it, long story short, Quincy would not be at all like it is today in so many aspects without that German settlement and that German flow of ancestry. We got to thank those 10,500 Germans for coming to the Jim City back in the 1800s and making the city uh, what it is today. What's your, I'm curious, what's your family's heritage? Does it, do we have German? Oh, for sure. Germanic oh, descent? absolutely. It's totally okay. German. Uh, as far as I can tell, the, the, the Ketters family came to, to the United States right around the turn of the century, right around 1900. And so we were a little late to the German ancestry to Quincy, the German migration time period, but uh, they ended up making their way here. And uh, ironically, a little quick side story for you. My mother's side of the family was one of those, about the same time they came here, and uh, they chose Quincy because they couldn't get across the river. Really? Mm-hmm. It was, Interesting. It, it was flooding. They couldn't get across, so they stayed, and they ended up liking it and made it their home. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I growing up, I always thought I was like 50%, at least 50% German. Then I did all the ancestry stuff. I'm almost like 98% English. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm almost completely England. Wow. Like, it's Norwegian through England. Wow. So, Viking English. I, hardly any German. I was shocked. Huh. Shocked. But you know what? Even if I can't claim it myself, every time I step in and get one of those angel food cupcakes, <laughs> I just... You're giving it's it back just, to uh, you're giving it back. It's all about uh, getting back. Tag, baby. Tag. Well, that speaking of the, there it is. There it is. A look at the question of what if the German migration never came to Quincy? We'll be back with more after this on Wild Quincy. <laughs> Hello. 
Hey, who? What's up? Nothing, B. Just watching the game, having a bud. What's up with you? Nothing. Watching the game, having a bud. True. True. What's up? Yo, who's that? Yo! Yo, pick up the phone! Hello? What's that? What's up? Yo, where's Dookie? Yo, Dookie! Yo. What's that? What's that? <laughs> Hold on. Hello? <laughs> so what's up, B? Watching the game, having a bud. True. True. <laughs> Travis, I got one question for you. Yes. What's up? What's up? Boy. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. What was your, I mean, that was a good one, but your favorite Budweiser series. Those are pretty good. Um, I, I like the frogs, too. I was going to say, I think it's the frogs for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. The what's up, man, that stuck. It, it, it stuck. It had a hell of a run. You know what though? I we do have at work. I, I do have some. I gotta tell you another story. I'll tell you that in a second here. But we do have some younger ones that come in. You know, 18, 20, 21 year olds that come in. And I did that one morning. I was like, "What's up?" And I'm like, you know Ice what that's from? Steps. And they're like, "No idea." You're and so, so like, old, Chris. Did you did you feel yourself now? getting old? And then I'll tell you another crazy story because real quick here, Travis. Uh, I had one student that, and I won't name names or anything, but I think it's more common than what I probably think, is that they have to use the computer. They actually have to use the mouse and the keyboard and stuff like that to do stuff for the class. And I had a student that says, I've never used a mouse before. I've only used a tablet. Ooh, ooh. So we're getting to the point now, when we were in school, we were like, oh my gosh, we got to use the computer for the first time. Now we've gone past that <laughs> to the point of, I've never used a desktop computer. I'm using only tablets. He wouldn't have made it on the Oregon Trail. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'll tell you that, Chris. <laughs> he would have died in the, died in the river from dysentery Yeah, a long time ago. Oh, it's those crazy. are good times. It's crazy. It's crazy. So. Ever-evolving, yes. So the What's Up comes from 1999. That was featured in the Super Bowl ads. I, we've been having that there. We've I've had that in the back burner for a while and, and figured since we were talking breweries and talking about all that, we uh, go ahead and uh, throw that in there. So, um, But uh, heads up, Anheuser-Busch, they've done a lot of cool things. Oh, also since we're on that subject about St. Louis and stuff, it just recently happened and, and the guy actually pulled out of the race. Did you know there was a guy running, I believe it was for Senate, for U.S. Senate. His name was John Wood. Yes, I did see that article come across. <laughs> yeah. The first time I heard that ad, I went, what? <laughs> what was that? I don't know if it was directly involved yeah, with the John Wood of Quincy. <laughs> But yeah, uh, yeah definitely make turn some heads in Quincy area whenever you hear that crazy stuff. But uh, speaking of crazy stuff, traps, I think it's time to bring the golden pipes. In. Oh, let's hear it! And now it's time for words of wisdom from Adams County. All right, traps. So usually, what we do here is we go and find the wit and wisdom from our forefathers and foremothers with the help of everybody out there. But however, since we're talking about German ancestry today. I decided to do something a little different because when you look through this book, the wisdom and wit uh, folklore of Adams County is what it's actually called. You come across these things every once in a while where they'll say something like a certain type of, uh, you know, ancestry. So they'll say like uh, French or obviously the big one is you see a lot of German. It says like this person was German that said this. So I decided, Travis, that I was going to go through this wit and wisdom of our forefathers and foremothers and look for ones that came from our German ancestors. Very thematic. I like it. Yes. So I'm going to give you a couple here. I got like six or seven. I couldn't decide. So we're going to do them all I real I think quick. we're always ready for what you got. Start with something easy. This one's 9135. If you throw flowers or a note into a grave, the party will not rest until he or she does what you want them to do. Oh, sounds like a, like a zombie servant situation. Right? Oh. And that kind of completely throws away the idea of like throwing flowers. You've seen that on TV. Like they throw the flowers in the grave after they lower the casket. Like, hey, now, according to the Germans, 
But no, are you no. okay with just flowers, or is it it's flowers and a note? Flowers or a note. Oh, so it's or. Oh, crap. yes, it's flowers or a note. Keep, Don't throw flowers in a great flowers in, in your yeah. hand, kids. Uh, here's another one. Nineteen uh, nine thousand eighty five. A woman was walking down. This one's crazy. A woman was walking down Madison Street and passed a neighbor's house, and a pig came out of the yard and started after her. She picked up a stick and hit the pig over the neck really hard. The pig squealed and turned around and went back. The next day, a neighbor came in with her neck all tied up. I said, what is wrong with your neck? And she said, you hit me last night. I said, "I hit. Uh, why? I only hit the pig last night. And she says, well, that pig was me. Do, are you telling me we got a wear pig? <laughs> we got an honest to God wear pig story. So... I, there's like a ton of these German ones in here, and I, I told you, Travis, this uh, before we started. There, I would say there's probably a hundred of these that have German that are from a germ, some German that are like witchcraft or hoodoo or or I shit. I sent you one today that I'm not going to read. It was a little bit long, but it was literally summoning a crossroad demon. Yeah, yeah. It was from a German. Oof. But so you're telling me, is it? Have you ever heard of? A person turning into a pig? <laughs> no. I mean, other than like Harry but Potter, maybe? That's know. not the only one. Like, there is a ton of them in here. I didn't mention those either. There's a ton of them of people turning into cats. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. But this is a pig. Somebody turned pig. into a pig. A pig. Okay. Turning into a pig. Yes. A pig. I've never heard of a wear pig. <laughs> oh, boy, pig. It's a new thing. Oh, there might be a t shirt um, coming. Oh. Home of the oh, wear pig. Put that on there. We got uh, it. Love it. Uh, 9,204, if you have not seen anyone for a long time, take their picture and set it up against the wall on the floor and you will see them soon. Well, yeah, you're looking at their picture. So as soon as that thing gets upright, you're there. Now we get a little dirty, though. The next one says, if you take someone's picture and turn it upside down so the party is standing on their head facing a looking glass, they will feel just the way that people are talking about them. Give that to me again. That got a little convoluted. Yeah. So what they're saying is here, if you want to have uh, make people feel the way that they're being talked about. So if somebody's talking bad about uh, another person, you take their picture, put it upside down in front of an hourglass on the floor, and it's going to make them feel that way. Okay. What if it's a picture of like somebody hanging from the monkey bars where they're upside down in the picture? No, the picture has to be upside down. You're, you're making but it'd it be more right side up. No, come on. <laughs> Do they turn into a wear pig? <laughs> All right. I got three more. Uh, just down the road, uh, 9,212 here says, put a person's photograph on the wall and drive a tack into their heart and he will die. <laughs> Yikes. It's <laughs> worse than being a wear pig. We're getting, we're getting rough here. These last two are going to be rough, all right? 9,237. If you have company and you don't want anyone to stay, try and get back of them and sprinkle a little salt on their left shoulder and they will leave. <laughs> Yeah, I think that would do the trick. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be like, why are you throwing salt on my awkward. back? <laughs> Make it real awkward. <laughs> Don't be but smooth we have, at all. We have to finish with the kitten caboodle, Travis. The one that takes it all. Out of all the German ones, this is the one that got me. All right, Are you ready for this? Even after the pig. Even after the pig. Okay. We go to 9,491. Take nine drops of your first urine in the morning. Put it. Can you finish this? Put it in your husband's coffee, and you will hold him. Words of wisdom from Adams County. You will hold him. How about you hug him instead? Leave the poor man's pee they, alone. They mean like you're gonna keep him. So you oh, have to okay. put the urine, your urine, nine drops of your urine into his coffee, and then whisper, "You're in my heart." And that just, will really seal the deal. This the thing that concerns me is that 120 years ago, women were doing this in Quincy. <laughs> I mean, was there even toilets? I mean, how would you? I mean, you get the chamber pot situation. I you guess just so. Like, you just take a little dropper and like, yeah, put it yeah. in. Honey, where's my coffee? Just a minute. Here, I'm making it fresh for you. It tastes like asparagus. <laughs> yeah, that's horrible. Um, yeah, man, I don't know, Chris. That's. That's uh, isn't that how many yeah, drops? I mean, nine, nine, nine drops. Okay. First, it's gotta be the first urine. Okay, too. can can we can I? It's getting weird here. This might be wild thing territory. Okay, do you think you could taste? Do you think you would know if somebody put nine drops of urine in your coffee? Be honest. 
Probably not. I don't think you would either. No. How no. much pee would it take in a cup <laughs> oh, of coffee geez. for you to be like, it's a bit nutty. I mean, oh. yeah, just, <laughs> what would be the threshold? You know what? I'm sorry. Shut me up. Shut me up, Chris. Can just, oh, my Question gosh. of the day. Let's get that, to the question of the day. You know, I, I've, I, I have a ton of audiobooks. I have a ton of books in my library. But I'll tell you what. This folklore of Adams County may be the best book I have in my library. It's just there's so much good stuff it in It gets there. my imagination going so good. Oh man, check it out. It's on Amazon. It's a little expensive, but it's worth it. There's free versions too. You can get the PDF version. It's fun. But just just get it. Check it out. There's a lot of good stuff. We'll never get to all of it. There's 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 17,000 of them. We'll never get them done. All right, Travis, before we get things wrapped up and we go uh, get the first urine of the morning, it's time to finish things up with the uh, question of the day. All right. Uh, of course, every couple of years, you know, these presidential candidates that are running for the general election, they get on TV and debate each other. But the question is this, which two general election candidates were the first to debate each other in public for the office of president. It doesn't have to be on TV. So your choices are this. You got uh, Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr. You got Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas. Theodore Roosevelt and William Taft. Or John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon. What's your thoughts, Travis? Uh, Kennedy and Nixon, I believe, was the first TV. Okay. Uh, and Kennedy whooped his butt in the debates because Nixon didn't want to put on makeup, if memory right, serves. Right, right. Uh, and I think you threw that in trying to get me. <laughs> I can't imagine there not being public debates. And what's strange is why it wouldn't have. I remember my history after Washington. It was Adams versus. Was it Adams versus Jefferson? So I think you're, you're close. You're, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm thinking, was it Jefferson versus. What was the, the first option? Again? Burr. Uh, Jefferson, Jefferson versus Thomas Burr. Jefferson versus Aaron Burr was option number one. That's the one I'm going with, Chris. All right, so that's your final answer? Absolutely. You, sir, would be totally wrong. Really? Yes. The answer is actually one you probably don't think. The first public debate was actually between Kennedy and Nixon. Yes. No, you look at me with concern and question. You think it was, oh, that was just a TV debate. But here's the thing, Travis. Before this time, presidents thought it was taboo to debate each other in person. So they did not do debates in general elections. They hmm. would talk about each other, but they would never come together yeah, in the same location. Well, that's what, yeah, I would have never, would have never yeah. guessed, obviously. Uh, yeah. There's a podcast that uh, I've been listening to, and I'll have to, I'll put the, probably in the notes or something about it, but it's a really good podcast, and there was a segment about that I just listened to, about how it, 1960 was actually the first one, and then it went a few more years, and I believe, and I don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure it was like Kennedy, that, or uh, excuse me, it was uh, Reagan, that was the next time that there was another uh, presidential debate. That's wild. Um, that there was, was actually some time, hmm. they went away from it again the only reason and there's another cool story that 1964 election kennedy was going to be running against a, a republican they actually were really close friends and they were going to have another debate again um but they were going to make it real civilized and because they were friends and it was going to be a completely different look at how uh, debates were going to be handled and and the guy and i apologize don't remember his name that was running uh that would have ran against kennedy he said that he really thought what was going to happen is that the whole idea of presidential debates if they would have had that election debate would have changed and it, the way it is today would not be the way it is today. Was it just exclusive? That. Was the whole moratorium on the debating for presidents just on the presidential level? Because mm -hmm. obviously yep. there was debates elsewhere in sure. the government. Yeah, but it was no, just it, the highest office. Just the highest office. That, that was, is so bizarre. That is yeah, was, crazy. Yeah. By the way, I did throw another one in there. Uh, I always think this one's kind of interesting. Lincoln and Douglas, they did debate. We all know that. It wasn't for president. Right, it was for it the, was for uh, Senate. Illinois Senate, yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. so it's always I, I I always got caught up on that. I always thought it was for president, and it was actually not for president. So Travis, before uh, we get things wrapped up, uh, we have our Patreon coming up. So check that out. With we'll be with Beth Lane next week. Oh, I'm excited then, for that. Uh, of Chris. course, oh. we talk about this presidential election stuff, but we're not necessarily talking about the presidents. Uh, we're talking about one of those other guys that was in uh, those possible answers. We're doing another People episode. This one's going back a little bit further. Not somebody that's quite current, but somebody we've talked about a few times in the Boy, last few days. In, in the last few minutes. 
we're going to have Reg Ankrum on the show. Reg is the preeminent, in my opinion, as as well as anybody is, I think, just the source on the life and times of Stephen Douglas. So often, I think, in history, Douglas gets the footnote of you know Lincoln-Douglas debates. He's always just a footnote in that conversation in the shadows of Abraham Lincoln. But as we alluded to earlier in this and other episodes, Stephen Douglas was a massive figure in the history of this area. And I can't wait to have Red John to talk about his legacy, his involvement with the area, and how he helped shape it. Um, he's he's a just an expert on the topic, and I can't wait to hear from Reg in the next uh, episode. And I would actually kind of be curious to get the input on, from him to see about what his thoughts are about our what-if thought with Stephen Douglas. It does tantalize the imagination, and we may have to swing back and look into that. But yeah, it'll be a good time for sure to learn a little bit more about the little giant from Decatur. That'll be coming up in our next regular episode of Wild Quincy. Before we wrap things up, Travis, as always, are we missing anything? You know what? You can always give us your feedback on the social channels at wildquincy at gmail.com or even via phone or text at 612-666-9453. Lots more coming up next week on the Wild Thing episode on the Patreon side. We hope you'll find us over there for a few bucks a month. But Chris, I think that's all the pitching I got for you. Let's get on out of here. All right. Well, for Travis Hoffman, I'm Chris Ketters, and you've been listening to Wild Quincy. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Wild Quincy is released every other Tuesday and is produced by Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Sound designed by Downdraft Sound and Editing and music by Travis Hoffman Music. I'm Bo Beecraft, and thanks for listening to Wild Quincy. Wild Quincy.